Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we explore what 2022 had to offer in the movies. And that means... It's time for a Top 10 Turf War. Aw, I miss Darren. I missed hearing his voice. Our lovely Darren Osborne doing our intros. He has the best voice. I love every time he comes on. It just puts the biggest smile on my face. Before we begin, I've got a caveat. Ooh. caveat, as it is. Uh, My number one favorite movie of 2022 should have been done in 2021, but it came out in Canada in 2022, but it was a part of the Oscars for 2022, so it should have really been in that year, but the worst person in the world is by far my favorite movie from the 2021-2022. I messed it up because it's a foreign international film. And we didn't get it in Canada until such and such time. It gets very tricky because like our rules for our podcast are, generally speaking, it's North American limited release or more. And that's the date that we go by. But as you said, sometimes the Oscar screws us up and then we have to like advance certain films. And this one was kind of in that middle zone. Exactly. The Oscars are a plate on the entire universe, as we found out the other night anyways, which I'm sure we'll get into. But as always, don't worry, fans. There's always the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, which horror fans get to vote for. It's the only award show that matters anyways. <laughs> okay, so I think we got to first start by saying... Hi, hi, everybody. It's been a really long time. Hi. We're back. Look, there was cross-country moves. There was... Uh, volleyball took over my life in 2022. Like, in the most insane way. I am now a beach volleyball superstar. I think that this one is mostly... I mean, I, I it's true. You go and you play volleyball, like, multiple nights a week. But I think this one's more my fault... The cross-country move, I just could not do the podcast and the move all at once. But now we're back. I have more of a, a regular life. You were also ADA on a movie. You were producing. I couldn't get involved in that. Your life was turned upside down. That is very true. I uh, I produced a movie, guys, in Los Angeles where I live now. What the heck? Yeah, it's pretty wild. All of these things factored into literally we just didn't get together at all in 2022. But we are back. We have just released our top 2021 movies, which must have been just if you listen to the episode, probably a trip to go back. And now we're here. We've just finished the Oscars in when we're recording this. This is a couple of days after the Oscars. And we are ready to talk about the top 10 2022 films. I don't really believe that 2022 was an incredible year for film. I think it was fine. I Like I might have two films on my list that I could revisit. That's not always how past years have felt. But I think 2022 was it was a fine year. It's interesting because I just re-listened to our 2021 episode. And 2021, you were like, I have so many 
four star films. This is fantastic. So it's a little <laughs> bit of, of a move. And I will say 2022 is a weird year in the films. There are some films that I really loved, but even some of the ones in my top 10, I'm like, oh, this is not normally top 10 caliber. So it was a weird year. I agree. Very weird year. And just a note, there will be spoilers for some of these movies. So if you were worried, maybe skip through. <laughs> if you hadn't seen a film, you may get spoiled. All right. Well, we normally start these things off. I know it's been a while, but Ivana, I think you start us off. Let's do that again. Yeah, let's do it again. All right. So we're going to start with my number 10. I can't believe it's on my top 10. I cannot believe it. Bodies, bodies, bodies. A satirical look at Generation Z. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. All right. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Sure. Let's uh, get into it. Look, I acknowledge that this film is not going to make the collective top 10, but it is actually a really fun film. Maria Bakalova is lovely in it. Honestly, I think it has a lot more to say about group dynamics viewpoints, social media, who we are as a people. And I think that's kind of interesting. So I like the film. I think it, it actually strives to be, I think, more than what it is. Like, I think people think it's just like a funny little movie, but I think it's trying to be something bigger. It is. I agree with that. I gave three and a half stars to Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Not quite sure where it lands in the whole zeitgeist. Probably like the top 30. We should also say... I have seen 82 films from 2022. I'm going to guess a lot less than that, Ivana, when Bodies, Bodies, Bodies ends up in your top 10. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen a pitifully small number of 2022 films. I'm actually, I'm going to count <laughs> it and I'll get back to us later with how many I've seen. <laughs> well, fair enough. I, you know, it has a great finale, like a really top notch. I love that ending to Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. How the whole story unravels and how everyone turns on each other, I think it's kind of Hitchcockian. Look, I don't have anything nasty to say about Bodies, 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 except that, like, yeah, it's not a top 10 tier film. And I'm amazed that's where it landed for you. But uh, but like you said, you hadn't seen a lot of films. I'm not going to lie to you. Same. I'm amazed that that's where it landed for me. I, and to be honest, you know... Near it, I I have, it's been going kind of up and, like, I've been moving films up and down, and, and even Top Gun has been in that position, but in the end, I think I preferred Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, it's just more my taste. So Bodies, 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 for me, I just looked. It's 45 out of 82, right there in the middle, three and a half stars. It's right behind uh, 13 Lives and a head of Ambulance. Um it it's a a good time at the movies. I can't fault you there. It's a fun flick. Do you have more to say on bodies, 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 or do you want to move on to my number ten? I am ready to move on to your number ten, and I want to say that I saw fifty two films, very few, very few indeed. So that is why it's there in my top ten. <laughs> you know, you may have gone on like a a a journey going back. And seeing like 1970s films and 1980s films and had a year like that. I've done that many a time. So what's your number 10? Okay. I will say up front that personally, I do like the 1930s version more. 
But this is still an incredibly stunning picture. If, oh God. if this remake had leaned more into what the 1930s film did, All Quiet on the Western Front very well could have been my number one film of the year. Uh, you know, the original for me is a five-star film. It's one of my favorite Best Picture winners ever. But more than ever, like, I have to say, I appreciate the technology we can showcase today, you know, versus then. It makes it more believable and, and visceral. And, you know, this film showcases the horror of war better than I think any other war film that I've ever seen in my life. It's up there with, like, Schindler's List for uncovering levels of horror. Uh, you know, like, with that said, I haven't actually sat down and watched come and see from 1985 yet here. That's like the worst war movie in the history of the world to watch. I will get to it. I know it's supposed to be amazing, but it's also supposed to be horrifying, you know? And, and then I always look at relevance, right? Like this is in my top 10. It's my number 10 film. We are currently living in a world where a country has declared war on its neighbor. Uh, you know, so this film continues sadly, so sadly Ivana to be relevant. Uh, and for that reason, you know, there is a war happening against two rival countries, not to mention infighting and, and civil wars across the world. I think in 2022, I can understand why the the propaganda storyline was wasn't as hashed out in the 2022 version as it was the 1930s, uh, you know, as in air quotes, peacetime. Again, I'm rambling, but it's a stunning film. It deserved to win the production design and cinematography that it received. The use of color grading is like unbelievable. Like I was shocked. Yeah, the color grading was beautiful. The I mean the the new look, the new look of all of these. Like, did all war films look like this, or is this just a new look among all the new ones? I'd never seen a war film look like this before. Oh, to me, it looked the same as like 1917. Well, 1917 was like a really rich film stock. I really like the look of it, but I feel like this is crisper. You're right. 1917 had a more film look and this had a more crisp um, digital look to it, I think. Yeah. But I also appreciate the fact that like, it's a German story being told by Germans. You know, the 1930s version is about Germans, but it's a bunch of Hollywood actors playing Germans and it's all in English. Like this is, it's interesting. They took the story and they, they made it their own and uh, you know, good on Germany for doing that. It's an incredibly difficult film to watch. It's not one I'm ever going to revisit, but I am glad that I spent the time there, especially the moments in the film that showed the difference between the generals and the people actually fighting the war. Like those contrasting moments of, you know, the negotiation is happening on, a train, but the guy's like, is this, is this bread fresh? Meanwhile, you've got the actual soldiers just scrounging for anything. They're robbing farmers of a goose, but you know, this bread is not that fresh. Maybe we shouldn't serve it on our negotiation train. Come on. I, I mean, I think that's what this version of the film is about, right? Like, um, more than anything is the, the, kind of comparison between the opulence of the people who make the decisions of war and the people who give up their lives for that war and 
the unfairness of it all. Yes. I think that there is a little bit of a pointed finger towards the current situation with Putin kind of for Absolutely. sure. Like it feels like there's a nod being like, <clears throat> someone is still wanting to the war to keep going. But the thing is, is it's horrible to watch. Um, I never felt as though the characters were really anything more than symbols. They were absolutely symbols. I like I said, I I have I think the 1930s film is better. We don't have the technology, we don't have the crispness, we don't have this incredible cinematography, but you care a lot about the people and the absolute disgusting propaganda that happens outside of these soldiers risking their lives for what? 5 feet? 5 feet extra? Over the course of four years or however much they could take was like yards. Oh God, what a horrible war. I think it just, it just shows how horrible all war is. I, ugh, war is disgusting and land grabs. I I knew it would not be on your list. Obviously I knew it wouldn't be on your list. It was a war film. I really hated my time with this movie, Uh, but it was beautiful, I guess. Uh, I hated it. I hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that every time you watch a war movie, you hate it so much. I hate it so much. You can't get past the fact that why are people doing this to each other? I Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like horror, but with all the fun removed, every bit yeah. of fun is removed and all you're left with is the horror. And, and then you're, and then you're like, and this is happening in the world right now. And then you're, then you realize that you're safe and how lucky you are to be safe. And then you just feel guilty and horrible. It's it's a horrible time. Absolutely horrible. I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. What is your number nine movie? Another, you know, real upper of a movie, as they say. <laughs> I just watched it today, actually. And that is The Whale. Oh, okay. Uh, don't give away too much because I haven't seen The Whale. All right. All right. Okay. So, um, look... I am still processing this movie. So I don't think we have to worry about me giving away too much. But for any audience members who don't know what the movie is about, um, I will give you just a very high level overview. It's set in one location and it follows the life of an imperfect man who is trying to reconnect with his daughter before he dies. And that's it. That's really, I think that's the movie. And it is like real and gritty and dark and really hard to watch. I think maybe like the movie that is the hardest to watch of anything Darren Aronofsky's ever done. Like no, that is saying so much. Yeah. <laughs> like I, there were moments where I couldn't look. I had like, I closed my eyes because I was like, I just can't look at the screen right now. It was too painful. I can't face this. I'm blown away that you say that. The, as you know, Requiem for a Dream is a film that I'll never go back to. You love it so much. The whale is worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Requiem what? is like. Like that is. Requiem a, is, is like. Is that an endorsement? <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the reason why it's on my top 10 list and the reason why it's my number nine, and I do think I would go back to this film, is that I felt a lot of feelings while I watched this movie. And they're not feelings that 
are fun to feel and they're not feelings that you usually want to face in your everyday life. But they are also feelings that we all feel in our everyday life. Um, I think we all kind of know what it's like to have complicated relationships with our loved ones. I'll just like leave it at that. Everybody has complicated relationships with their loved ones. You know, people that they love that like let them down in these very like weird and specific ways. And this movie, I think, lets you feel those things in a safe place in this story, which is not your story, but that I think that it gives you that catharsis. So I think it's very important. And I think movies like this are there so that we have an outlet to feel things that maybe we don't want to feel at at home with our loved ones. I go to the cinema to feel things. I think that is a ringing endorsement. I think I I have to buckle up and watch an Aronofsky it's, movie that's, <laughs> that's harder to watch than Requiem for a Dream. It is a, yeah, it's a real, I mean, to me, the hardest to watch of all of his was The Wrestler. And it's still my favorite, I think. The Wrestler, I think, is my favorite of Aronofsky's work to this day. Oh, it's definitely top tier. This is harder. This is harder to watch. But I think I would watch it again. And I, I do want to say that Brendan Fraser's uh, performance was spectacular and nuanced Deserve the Oscar? He deserved the Oscar, and they deserve the makeup Oscar. Okay. All right, Jay, what's your number nine? 2022, going to the movies has never felt, to me, more important than this year. And after what feels like decades of bathos in big blockbuster superhero movies, I think what my heart really wanted, and I expressed this to you in a text, Ivana, I, I wanted sincerity. You know, let a scene play out in a way that wasn't going to be stripped back with a laugh. You know, we'd seen that in superhero movies for a long time. And you may see a lot of these types of, of films on my list. I think Avatar The Way of Water is a good starting place. Yes, it is spectacle. Yes, I was immersed. I saw it in IMAX. I was dead center. It felt like I was being enveloped, pulled my heartstrings, made me care for a space whale. You know, as someone who was not a fan at all of the first film, I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed my time in theater seeing this film. You know, I don't know if I'll ever go back to it uh, when it comes out on Disney Plus, but I know I'm looking forward now to the next sequel. I think what this did, like... A blockbuster film like Dune didn't do for me was really give an honest, emotional, I'm going to say somewhat cohesive because I can see your face right now, Ivana, (laughs) uh, story of a family and where that family exists. A riveting conclusion. The high frame rate I was, I kind of dug, which I didn't before. And, you know, to back it up, I, I am looking forward to the, like the second part of Dune but nowhere near now the level I'm looking forward to another Avatar film. I was shocked that I walked out of Avatar The Way of Water and said, I had a great time. That was a lot of fun. And then you and I had a conversation and I didn't really have answers to your questions, which you can go into now. Yeah, so I saw it. I unfortunately didn't get to theaters in time to see it in IMAX, which I'm very upset about. And it is beautiful, And it was watchable and I gave it three and a half stars and it's like, you know, firmly in the middle of my list, basically. 
but I couldn't get over the fact of like, why is the plot still happening after they run away? The mission is to get rid of him so that they can continue making their like new development and then they get rid of him. And, and yet for some reason he's still being hunted. I don't really understand that. Also in a society that seems to be so money driven and capitalistic, why were they allowed to divert all of those whale ships for this like mission? I It just seemed really silly. Even though I thought that the family story was very compelling, everything around it felt silly and kind of, I don't know. It was okay. It was fun. I enjoyed watching it and probably won't think about it much going forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have answers for you at all for any of those. I don't know why this movie made me cry. I don't know why I was so enamored with what was going on. Like, I again, I did not enjoy the first Avatar. I was a critic at that time. I wrote like a two and a half star review for the first one and said, technical achievements does not a story make. And everybody else praised it. And mine was like the lowest review. And I don't think Fox liked that because I don't think they invited me to a movie for a while. And <laughs> Which is fine. It's fair. It's fair. I didn't know what the hell I was even talking about. But I didn't love Avatar. And I went back and watched it. And I was still like, yeah, this is a like three star at best. And whatever reason, this movie captivated. And I wanted to go there. I was like, I want to be in that ocean. I want to be at that community. I liked the community. I liked the wonder of it. I loved the beauty and I loved the characters, especially the kids' characters. That's what really like oh, got they me were so good. through the story. So there's a lot of goodness. To me, a big part of the world of Avatar is this different way of living that's more pluralistic. And then suddenly you have a nuclear kind of like American family inside of everybody else being very pluralistic it felt mismatched and it felt like it didn't belong in the world. The world was beautiful. The characters were great. It's almost an issue for me that it's part of Avatar. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So I saw a behind the scenes thing with uh, Zoe Saldana and on the top half of the screen, it was her as an avatar and on the bottom half of the screen it was her in the sound stage with like dots on her face or whatever she had right right yes yes and and you know I could not stop looking at the real human face all the technology in the world to map her face to this perfect new creation and yet the thing that like excites my brain is is the real true human even though it was beautiful to look at, it did feel a little bit like a cartoon, not like a real world, not like something I could touch. All right. Well, take us into the world of the real with whatever your number eight is. So far, we have no crossover. No crossover. We're not going to have any crossover here. And you, I don't even know if you've even heard of this movie. I'm almost embarrassed to say that this movie is in my top 10, let alone <laughs> number eight. It has no business being in anybody's top 10. <laughs> no, like, no business. I do not endorse this. Um, but I love this movie. I don't know why it, it delighted me when I watched it. It reminds me of my childhood. It feels very nostalgic. And I found it completely charming. It's a movie called Good Morning by Machine Gun Kelly. Have you heard of it? 
I haven't heard of it. I don't know what you're talking about. It is like a 1990s coming-of-age comedy, kind of like Mallrats or Clerks or Empire Records or any of those kinds of like films of that day. Maybe even a little bit inspired by like the Adam Sandler films in his early career, that kind of thing. Really? Yeah, but it's like low budget and really has the scrappy like Kevin Smith kind of feel to it. And it was directed and written and starred Machine Gun Kelly and his partner Maud Sun. And he he did it under his real name, Colson Baker. It basically, it's about this guy. He is a movie star and um, he gets a text from his girlfriend that he is worried means that she's breaking up with him. And then he like his whole life spirals. And it's just a really simple, stupid coming of age story. It is you know, no better than than Mallrats or any of those kinds of 90s kind of like low budget kind of films. But it's also just like perfect and funny and a breath of fresh air. And I loved I loved it. It was so stupid, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> Letterboxd has this at a 1.3 out of 5. Yeah, yeah. It, it also has appearances by Snoop Dogg and Avril Lavigne. Yeah, it's a really stupid movie. It's really stupid. Like it's it's like dude where's my car? Like like it is I cannot describe to you. It's it's entirely I think a nostalgic thing for me. I really love this movie. I think it's so fun. Okay. Where did you watch it? Where did you find this film? I watched it on my computer. Okay. <laughs> and I don't remember where I found it. I it came out. I think it was actually, you know what? I had just watched Machine Gun Kelly's like uh, he had put out this like pop punk album that was also a movie, but uh, like a song movie. And okay. I watched that and then I guess I had a trailer for this and then that's how I, I found out about it. Good morning. And it's spelt like you're mourning a loved one. Yeah. And it's like not a great movie, but it's lovely. <laughs> Look. Hey, that this is this is what 2022 does to us. You know, we're we've been in our houses for two and a half years, and all of a sudden something just hits you right, and that's that's the movie. That's how you're going. With I think it. I feel about this one the same way. Remember when I loved Bill and Ted number three, and you thought it was horrible? Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be like. I mean, this. I can't even tell you this movie's horrible because I haven't watched it. But I it, it's heard gonna about be it like until this. five minutes ago. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly in a in a movie. Called Good Morning. Okay. All right. Well, like, you're going to know the next movie on my list. I'm not trying to surprise anyone. Also, if you're following along, I have the most basic top 10 list in the history of the world this year. I'm so happy Ivana is on this playlist. Otherwise, you all will be bored to tears. I'm sincere here now. Uh, you know, this podcast is made better by my co-host Ivana. I'm just saying it with now. my horrible movie choices. What is your number? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes. People are judging you, but also get ready because my next film is funny, but it's also sad. We're living in a time where uh, we're reaching out for connection in a post pandemic world. We're back in offices. We're going to the movies you know, it is natural that after this two and a half year stretch and so much happened that some of those relationships we reach for may not survive. And I think that's what Martin McDonough is trying to get across in the Banshees of Inisherin. 
Put a pin in it, my friend. Okay. All right. <laughs> I will put a pin in it. My goodness. Okay. What is your number seven? All right. Okay. My next movie is, I won't even give it that much of an introduction because I think it's going to be on your list and it is Tar. Yeah. Okay. We can talk about that later. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on to your number seven. My number seven. Now we're going just like, we're just cruising. Now you said that it got bumped off your list earlier. So let's do this. We're going to talk about one of the best experiences I had in a movie theater this entire year. Okay. Not the best. That goes to me and my wife going to see Moonstruck on Valentine's Day. It was amazing, as always, because it's the best movie. But there was no better ride for me at the movie theaters this year besides that Moonstruck than Top Gun Maverick. Did I turn off my brain, Ivana? You bet I did. (laughs) Did it have multiverses, surprise superheroes, or continuity? Included, you know, pointed agendas about... Who the true enemy is, it did not do any of that. Did I cheer like a maniac, though, in that third act? Hell yes, I did. Look, I think we can acknowledge that we haven't gotten a blockbuster like Top Gun Maverick and to lesser extent, you know, the Avatar movie since the superhero stronghold latched on to theater chains. And like... You know, I talked about sincerity. You know, this film delivers thrills and is very important film for the movie industry, putting butts in theaters for the the big comeback that Avatar would then, you know, just tear apart at the end of the year. Uh, You know, this is a huge win for big budget filmmaking. And I know I am going to watch this film every single summer For the rest of my life. The One Republic song is already on my beach volleyball playlist. (laughs) Comes up every Sunday. And I am already in awe of how impressive the small story is with like a good TV, 4K screen, amazing sound. Like if you are a collector of 4K movies, this is a must buy. Oh man, I had so much fun. I've already watched it like three times and I love every second of Top Gun Maverick. I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. I never saw the original Top Gun really. Well, I guess I watched it right before the first one, but I think, you know, I don't have any of that nostalgia. So this movie is way better than the first Top Gun. It was. This movie is so much better. It has no right to be so much better, but it is. But I think, as you said, it's just, it's like a simple blockbuster, executed well, a lot of fun. And that is totally fair because you and I have had a conversation about what kind of movies we gravitate to. And blockbusters is very low on your totem pole. Yes. that Yeah. Like if for whatever reason, if it's just a, if it's a blockbuster comedy, a blockbuster action, a blockbuster, something else, then Fine, but if it's a straight-up blockbuster, not my cup of tea. Just not for me. Right. And, and you know, coming off of superhero fatigue, I have it now, too. Like, I'm I'm looking at this whole new super... James Gunn is going to do some things, and I'm like, that's great, man. Fill your boots. I don't know if I'm coming along for the ride. Yeah. And, and I will say, I'm, I'd rather watch this than that. So, like, I'm Absolutely. watching these There's movies. something about watching this film where they're giving it their all they're there's there's no point where they don't believe in what's happening 
even up to the point where they pull a Star Wars, they believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing on that screen. And they're not playing it for laughs. They're not like, it just feels like something you can cheer for that doesn't include Spider-Man. And I'm there for it. I'm happy. You know, like I, I'm just, I'm happy to get movies and move on. And I just hope we get so much more. Ivana, I hope we get more of these so that we can have a fun time when we go to the movies. I fully agree. I think audiences are ready for blockbusters that are not superhero movies, blockbusters that are not saying anything, blockbusters that are just blockbusters. And even though that's not my favorite type of movie, I recognize that this one is an excellent blockbuster. Definitely deserving a best sound. You got nothing else at the Oscars, but hey, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards are coming up. Who's to say they could get something? I don't know what. It's not a horror. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say something crazy could happen? What is your number six? All right. My number six, I don't think it'll make your list, but I think you'll enjoy talking about it. Uh, Triangle of Sadness. <gasps> oh, I'm so glad it's on your list. Okay. It's like, I'm going to find out where it is, but tell me all about it. Okay. So for anyone who has not heard of this film, it is a bit of a, um, it's a, satirical dark 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 comedy about the opportunistic nature of humanity and it's a little bit of a takedown of the upper classes but also of all people and people of any class it's just a takedown of people really it's it's fun it's stylistic it follows this young couple who are models um, and also influencers and who are young and beautiful and get to go for free on this cruise where all these very, very wealthy, rich old people are going until the cruise capsizes and they all find themselves on an island and the what if ensues. So I'll leave it at that. That's our premise. It's a great film if you haven't seen it. One of the things I love about Triangle of Sadness is the swap at the beginning of gender roles. It is so interesting that in this profession of modeling, the woman is top tier. She gets paid all the money. And then the male model is lesser. There's this, there's this whole scene where they're having a conversation about money at dinner and how he can't afford it. And she is kind of being like, well, whatever, like you're going to, you're the, you're the man. And he's like, it doesn't make sense. You make more money. You know that like it was this really interesting gender identity swap that I loved. And then at the end of the film, not going to go into spoilers. You got to watch the movie. Um, at the end of the film, there's, there's even more nuance layered to that because now the power dynamics are reversed again. And it's, God, I love this film. You're absolutely right. It's fantastic. It deserves a top 10. It is uh, um, unbelievably uh, like at 23 for me. Oh, wow. Behind a whole bunch of stuff. But the but I love it. I gave it four stars. I don't know if I'm going back to it. Well, that shit scene. 25 minute scene of food poisoning that is 
wretched to get through it. I don't think just I could wretched. ever watch that scene again. I, I think that <laughs> I would happily watch this movie again, but I will always and forever just fast forward past that scene because, wow. I mean, but if you want to talk about commitment to a bit, <laughs> 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 like I've never seen a movie do this. And it's just extremely interesting. It's interesting to see the ways in which we are just imperfect corrupt little beings trying to do our very best <laughs> what what was that what number was that we're at number six and it's time for you to tell us what your number six is if you asked me last year who ty west was i would be like no freaking clue but then this guy goes and puts out not one but two incredibly important horror flicks in 2002, Pearl and my number six film, X. I'm so glad it's still in your top 10. It, it got shuffled around in my order and it's got bumped down, but I love this film and I'm glad it's on your list. I think X is the best, you know, red, white, and blue American horror film I've seen since maybe 2017's It. You know, like this film is so deeply steeped in Americana in sex, violence, political ideology. Like the big piece of the puzzle here though is how much fun this movie is. It's a blast. I love the bad guy. Like I love the bad guy in the movie. And then when I was so excited to see Pearl to get to know more about the bad guy. Like it was, it was pretty perfect. This film introduced me for the first time to Mia Goth, who is a star in X and then blindsides me with a performance in Pearl. There's something, she's very magnetic, like on camera. She really is. I prefer X mostly for like its sheer iconic horror, like earnestness for lack of a better word. Like it's near Toby Hooper truthfulness in the style. Like you can see Texas Chainsaw Massacre like levels at points. I, oh man, I fucking love X. And at, at least for me now, are you ready for this? I'm dropping hot knowledge here, Ivana. I'm ready. Ty West is stacked the way that Flanagan and Peel and Landon are now in my personal watching out horror zeitgeist. Ooh, nice. Like I will be looking for these films. It says Ty West film. I am there. Ty West. I, I really loved both of these films. I agree that I think X is the better film. And I think that's mostly because I really like the exploration of getting old, you know, and like dreams slipping away and all that kind of stuff. It had a bit of a through line throughout the two movies, but I think that it was more sophisticated in X. However, that does not take away Pearl. It just is not quite at the X level. At the end of Pearl, <laughs> Mia Goth smiling on stage for however long the credits roll. So scary, <laughs> but also so sad. But because you know what's going to happen to her. She's not leaving this farm. And it's, oh God, I don't know. It's just, man, if you haven't seen X yet, go see X. Also respect to that alligator. All right, number five for you, Ivana. Number five, we are cruising along. I don't think it's going to be on your list. In fact, I think you're going to throw some shade my way. 
<laughs> but I really like this movie. And I also really like this rendition of a superhero. <laughs> Number five on my list is The Batman. I love The Batman. The Batman's awesome. Oh, good. Okay. Well, there we go. I, I love The Batman. I thought Robert Pattinson, he to me was like the comic come to life. In a way that like no other actor has done that. Like they might be their own brand of Batman that is good and interesting for whatever take they're doing in that movie. Like I really love Michael Keaton, but like he was the comic when he was Batman. I love the score. I love the look. I love the naivete of Bruce. You know, the hard boiled noir that. Yeah, the detective story. Yes. Oh, I, th- I think it's amazing. Uh, you know, I will say my only thing, and it's at number 12 on my whole list. Uh, oh, so we're it, actually not that far really off. It was in there for a while, for sure. The only thing that I have to say about the Batman, and I said it on TikTok when it came out, without Keaton, without Bale, without the Schumacher films, without Burton, without the animated series, with, hell, without Ben Affleck, You don't get to give us the Batman throwing us into a world that we already know everything about and give us a story like we've never seen before because we know all about the Batman. We don't even need anything really except give us the Batman and we know who the characters are. We know who the Riddler is. We know, And I'm just saying that like without all of the knowledge in the world... They would have had to build up a new origin for him. And it's so refreshing that we don't have to do that. Look, I think that there's a level of honesty there. Like, you know, this movie is coming out in 2022. We all, all of us, all over the world, maybe unless you're like really disconnected from the internet, you have heard of the Batman. So we don't need to reintroduce everything because everybody already knows it. Or you are a baby. You are... You have been in this world for four months and don't know who Batman is yet. But even then, think about when you're so young, so many things go over your head. So you don't need another origin story. You'll catch up. You'll figure it out. The The opening scene is very scary. There's an intruder in the house. The intruders are going to like tape you up and kill you. Really scary stuff there. Uh, and then, you know, even at the end... I didn't know where the character was going to go. And then we got this amazing ending where he really gets to be the hero and he's helping people. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the only end it could have been. That's the only way we could have gone with this. This film is that he's moving past his rage so that he can help people and be the symbol that the Batman is. And what's funny is that that little twist is actually what makes it an origin movie. Because ultimately, you just watched the origin of Batman. Even though he's been running around being a vigilante, this was the real origin. And you know what? I do respect Mr. James Gunn for saying, I'm not going to touch that universe. Yeah, I mean, I would love to watch another one of these. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Batman, that is so unbelievable that the Batman is on your list and not in mine. I'm, I'm thrown for a loop here. I thought I, you were going some other direction with it. I loved when you it. You were saying stuff. I loved the Batman. Okay, well, what's what's your number five? Uh, well, it's already come up. You know, hot take here, ladies and gentlemen. 
But Lydia Tarr is the best character to come out of 2022. I place her among the the Anton Chigurhs and the Daniel Plainviews of cinema. Like this is a character that I am never, ever going to forget. To me, the film Tar is perfectly riveting. I sat there observing everything she said about classical music, not knowing a GD thing, but every scene, you know, sent me deeper into this film and into this, you know, predator that is Lydia Tarr. Was she a predator or was she just a horrible person? I think that the film also asks that. Of course, right? Because here's this person who so many admire and so many would like to work with and be around, but she's also a hundred percent like preying on young, young girls. She is not praying as in like murdering these people, but she is a hundred percent grooming and doing something over and over with these women so that she can get her enforce her power so she can get herself some, some time with them. And damn man, like she is, she is a sexual predator. She is definitely, I mean, you're right. Like, I think that that's one of the most interesting parts of this story and the choice to cast a woman in this part. It really lends itself to that exploration of the nuances of humanity, right? And the way that we like interact with each other and and the subtext of the way that we use power. I read online that a lot of people are even asking, is that, is it real? Is it a dream? Is that a metaphorical, oh. like takedown of that person or is that her now being ousted and having gotten um let go is that her like ripping her way back on on well, that's for that's real? an even cooler interpretation and and then the dog in the building and people ask oh. you know is that real is that a hallucination is that a dream is that a manifestation of her do you know what i mean like this movie had that macbeth air to it where she did these things and she was in a position of power and so in that case like did she actually have the conversation with her daughter's bully like was that a thing she had or was that in her head as well i now i'm going to be thinking about this movie even more you're putting these things these thoughts in my brain i just was like playing it for they gave us this and what they gave us will be staying with me for a really long time i think I think people will be talking about this film for a really long time. And now if those are things that people are saying, doesn't that just add to this mystique of a film? I think it's a little bit more metaphorical. Like I don't necessarily think it's a dream sequence and I don't necessarily think it happened in real life. I think it's like meta. Some of it is metaphorical. And then that ending, which I thought was perfect. All right, well, I think it's time for us to move on to the number four movies. Boom, one, two, three, four. Oh my God, we're almost at the top. We're doing well this year. Crushing it, we're crushing it. I'm excited. I think you brought it up earlier and it is the Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah, Banshees, that is number four spot. I love it, I love it so much. Now you've seen this much more recently than I have. I that is correct. I also watched this film Today. <laughs> Today. Okay. Today. Yeah. Well, then it's fresh in your mind. I'm going to let you talk about it first. The setup is really simple. It takes place in a fictional town 
in Ireland during the Civil War, but it takes place on an island town where they're cut off from the actual war itself. It follows two men, two friends, and it is the story of a friendship breakup. One man declares to the other man that he no longer wishes to be friends any longer, and this essentially upsets the balance of this little town, and the story just unfolds. It's a story that's asking us about the meaning of life. It's asking us about absurdity. It's kind of like a modern uh, waiting for Godot. As a man, not to, not to you know, mansplain here, uh, but as a man who, like, has friendships with other men, there is something very fragile about the friendships of men. Uh, you know, often they're, they're put aside to, like, make way for careers or family, social obligations, like kids. You know, we let our... Our partners take up the social calendar for us in many cases, uh, at least in heterosexual relationships. I can't speak to any other relationship. Uh, and, and often the only reason we are friends with these people we're friends with is because we've just known each other a really, really long time. I think this film is about one of these male relationships that ends. Uh, in fact, like Brendan Gleeson's character wants very much to put his own ambitions before his friend and damn the consequences like entirely. And I think it's an interesting film to come out after the pandemic because it's set during a worldwide conflict during the, during war time. But we just had a, a massive worldwide conflict with the pandemic. And I think Banshees does like a very good job of showcasing how toxic the ending of a relationship can be and how how really necessary it is to foster a better kind of people and recognizing yourself, sorry, I should say, recognizing in yourself if you're holding people back because of your own fears to move forward, like Colin Farrell. He is holding his friend back because he wants to do the same thing day in and day out and his friend doesn't want to and you know his friend is looking to be great and, and Colin Farrell's looking to be nice. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's, he's got to be able to like, go like, no, go and go and do your greatness. This is kind of fun to, to hear about. We've never talked about this movie before because I totally did not see it that way. I felt like they were like representations of, of humanity arguing what is the meaning of life. And one of them is arguing, well, the meaning of life is to be nice and to, you know, be good to the people around you and create, you know, personal relationships while the other person is saying no the meaning of life is to create a legacy in art or something that you do engineer build and you have to put yourself towards work to create um and that is the meaning of life and and I felt as though it wasn't that as personal as you felt I felt it was a little bit more like a, a higher-minded argument about like what's important one of my favorite moments in the film is uh, how how passionate Brendan Gleeson is about leaving behind his legacy and leaving behind something. Breaking up with his friend will be the thing that this town always talks about till the end of time. <laughs> so he did, this is now his legacy. Like he lost his home because he tried to break up with his friend to make music. 
I mean, and the absurdity of it even, because he wasn't, he, he, he really wasn't trying to make a legacy, right? Like, because. Well, he wanted to create something to leave behind in the world. Well, that was sure, beautiful. He says this, but then he cuts off his fingers, therefore not being capable of making a legacy or leaving behind a piece of art. And then he's like, and that's the point. And I think that's the funny thing of it is like, that's we as people wiffle waffle between like making art and making connection. And I think that is, that is okay. That is human. I like that a lot. The wiffle waffle. I, I really felt like this was like waiting for Godot. They were talking about what is the meaning of life the whole time in this movie they were they certainly are trying to figure out what is best for them you know you can't sit there with a a a nice dumb person all the time and you don't get what you need out of life which he wants to go find it it's the same with his his sister right like his sister stayed on that island for as long as possible because he couldn't be without her but she's got to go and find her purpose and find her reason. I think she's the one that does it, right? Yeah, has to. Sidebar though, real quick. Like I really wish I hadn't seen it at the Varsity in Toronto because I absolutely hate that theater. Uh, even worse, like I paid the VIP price because that was the only theater that had it available. So like the screen was maybe the size of the projector that I take outside in the summer. And... The sound was like lower than my television normally is in my apartment. People were falling asleep because they were drinking in the theater and then snoring loudly. Like it was the worst movie going experience I had in 2022. And still it's on my list because I still loved it that much. And number four, number eight on my list. I just, you know, the Banshees of Inishirin people. If you haven't seen it, it's it's something. It's also it's funny something. and fun. Fun to watch, funny. All right, what about you? What about your number four? Okay, if Top Gun Maverick made me cheer in the last act, RRR made me cheer in the first 10 minutes. Oh, great. And you know what my number three is? RRR. Yes! So we I'm can actually so talk about the movie at the same time. That's so perfect. <laughs> Again, look, this is an incredibly loud, intentionally designed blockbuster picture that I am so glad fell on my radar last summer. I wish I had the chance to watch like Natu Natu be performed in a cinema, but I missed my window. This is what I want to see in a blockbuster. Yes. There are set pieces, there is action, there is a massive over-the-top story, but there's it's also saying something. Even if it's like a simple something, you know what I mean? Like, it had a pretty Dude. simple message, but it was good enough for me, and I fucking love this movie. It's a love story, a story of friendship. It's about mortal enemies. It's about heroics. It's a musical about oppression. It's a political story that I am way too ignorant to understand. It's absolutely (laughs) a goddamn delight. From start to finish, it roars into its title at like the 42-minute mark with absolute confidence. Look, I have been talking about sincerity 
this entire time. And whenever I thought this was going to go for like a cheap gag or like whatever, it didn't. Yeah. It doubled down in earnest. It really was earnest. And it had a lot of heart. There is a scene where a man is chained to a post in the street and he's getting whipped and he sings a song that inspires a nation to fucking uprise. It is amazing. And it's so much fun. And like, like so many other films on my list, RRR feels like it's the kind of movie we used to get. Yes. Like it feels like it should have been from 96 and I've been missing this and now it's here. And I just like, I can't wait to discover more Indian cinema because like international cinema in general, if this is what I'm going to find. It is such a gorgeous movie. Visually, oh, it is a unbelievable. Treat. And then on top of it, because it's a movie, it's an it's an Indian movie filmed in India where there are many, many people. Um, it had a lot of extras. And that felt like such a blast from the past, but also really like important and visceral i i don't know why i was really affected by the fact that there were real extras people physically in these scenes performing and these cities felt lived in they felt real uh i I don't know how much of it was built how much of it was cgi the cgi in this is amazing like it looks so good so good and and Yeah, I don't know. This was just, this was so impressive. I think that though this movie is maybe a new form of Indian cinema. Not that I know a lot of it, but I I do like it um, a little bit. I dabble. And I feel like this is a little bit, this is new. I think there's a whole new era coming and, and the new era is real exciting. Honestly, I cannot wait to watch more from these guys. I, I, I've told my wife like a bunch of times, like back, you got to watch RRR. Like I'll sit down and watch it. It's a big, long movie. I'll watch it again. I'll watch it a lot with you. And when we had the Oscars on, we weren't really watching, but from time to time we had it on when Natsu Natsu won, she was like, what is this? Because they showed a clip of them dancing, singing. And I'm like, it's like the most joyous moment in the movie. It's so great. You like, you are rooting for these guys so hard. You, you root for them so hard. They're, uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful film. I, I'm so glad that it's on your list. I didn't know if it was going to be on your list. Oh, my I God. I didn't know if you even saw it. I, I, I'm i so happy. I'm so happy. So my number four, your number three, which means it's back to my number three. Yeah, it's back to your number three. Okay. Uh, all right. Give me a second to come off my RRR rush because, like, I just, I just spouted love. So much love. Such great performances. I love the story of the friendship. The story of the friendship, the kindred spirits, the the way that the movie says, sure, there's darkness in us, but there's also light, and you can choose to go towards the light. It's such a breath of fresh air movie. It really is. So trying to move on, which I, I think RRR is going to be pretty pretty tall on our top 10 Really, really up top there. Oh, yeah. Uh, But here we go. Uh, Decision to Leave is a love story inside a crime story with, you know, maybe one of the most interesting femme fatales I've seen before in Tang Wei. It uh, it has something to say about marriages and trying to make something work that isn't working. 
It is ultimately gorgeous. It has a shocking finale. Like only this master of noir Park Chan-wook could deliver. To me, this is the single biggest miss of, of an award show like the Oscars. Golden Globes gave it stuff. Golden Globes, I think, even had it in their best picture category. Like this is one not to miss. Um, for me, the biggest part of Decision to Leave, and this is going to sound weird for everybody who's listened to me ramble on about movies for as long as you have, but this is the most visually stunning film I may have ever seen. Like literally what? maybe the film that made me sit up and, and take notice of cinematography in a way that I never had. I'd always notice colors. I'd always notice CGI. I'd always notice like really, but this is the first time I noticed uh, the camera ever in a film. Like I never really noticed the camera. And in this, these shots are so beautiful. There's a scene where it's a police chase and we've all seen a million police chases, and it's, it's on foot. And he shows us this angle of this building that is not like front on it's from the side. And so you can watch as one person scales and the other's running on top. And uh, it's like the coolest camera stuff I've seen. Um, while also using CGI very limitedly to place the characters when they're not together, together. It's brilliant. It's very interesting. And all the while it's delivering this really captivating story about a police inspector who's trying to solve a murder and his prime suspect he starts to fall in love with. Very fun and interesting. I mean, that's all I need to say is exactly very fun. Very interesting. Uh, so yeah, so I just like, I could cry injustice over and over about its exclusion from the Oscars, but uh, you know, but by now you know that I care about the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards and you know, that's all that matters. So it doesn't matter. Is it the right genre for Fangoria? Oh no, they they don't need awards. They're just that good. They're just <laughs> that good. Um, I had not heard of this movie before just now, and I am looking at the stills on IMDb, and it looks beautiful, and I can't wait to see it. This is absolutely getting added to my watch list. It looks amazing. And if you are like, oh, wait, Park Chan-wook, I know that guy. Yeah, you know that guy. Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, The Handmaiden, Stoker, you know that guy. <laughs> so uh, this this is one of those those directors who I, when I, I kind of hear that he's got something going on, I get excited about. So yeah, I, I just, I just love this film. That's, that's all I'll say. I won't go into too much more. I've given you a great pro premise and the cinematography and the way that it moves is unlike anything I've ever seen. Oh, wow. And here we are suddenly at the number two film of 2022. I feel like we've, we we made a decision and and to be a little bit faster this year and we are so far living up to it so yay us. i feel like we were prepared for this better than we have been in the past <laughs> yes i think so all right so i can't wait to talk about my number 2 film i love this movie obviously i think every the, the top 3 every year is always you know i think hits a special place 
at home. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on your list, but I know you like this movie. It is Barbarian. Barbarian, you say. Okay, continue, please. So for anyone who hasn't heard of this movie, um, it's a horror film, and it follows a woman who stays at an Airbnb in a kind of sketchy neighborhood, and when she shows up, someone's already staying there. It, it seems that it was double booked. And that's that's that that's our inciting incident. I'm not it the movie just changes and and um boy, I don't know how much I should get into the actual story here and because I was surprised watching this movie and part of it is the structure of the film. It was very Hitchcockian. It really reminded me of a Hitchcock film and it had a lot of great red herrings. And so I wonder how much we should really get into the actual story. Oh, I don't think we should go too far into the story. No. Right. Yes. But man, it's a great film. It currently on my list is sitting at 15. It's way up there for me. It was in the top 10 for a good long time until, until award season really came and you know, my basic bitch took over and, just shoved it full of like a bunch of award stuff. Apparently. <laughs> so, um, I, I loved barbarian. I had a really fun time with it. I think I gave it, maybe I may have given it four stars and I was so surprised with the, like the Mr. X, but they weren't Mr. X. That's the and thing. It's like, it was fresh and yet also not for, I don't, I can't describe it. It's a monster movie, but the monster is not who you expect. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, exactly what you expect. Exactly like, who you expect. That's the thing. Like, this movie does that a lot. It's like, it's not what you expected, but at the same time, it is what you expected. But that's kind of the irony here. <laughs> like, Yes. Yeah. Honestly, I, I loved it. I lo- you know what? The, the thing that I, I, you know what? I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil anything. Justin Long's great. The lead actress is fantastic. I got to find her name. Georgina Campbell. She's delightful. She's Um, awesome. She's such a perfect, I think, like protagonist because you are always rooting for her. She is a good person. You're like really with her the whole way through. Sometimes even when she behaves, I feel like like too good of a person. Really. In some ways, I feel like this was a story being like, hey, don't be that good because look, Look what could happen. So the director of this film is Zach Kreger. And so when somebody told me about Barbarian, I went and looked up the director and I looked at the other film that I had seen. And one of his, like the only other films really he's done. And it was a 2009 film called Miss March. And I hated it. I like one and a half star. Like I don't give less than two stars unless I really hate it. Hate a thing. After watching Barbarian, I almost decided I was going to revisit it. I'm not. The premise is so ridiculous. It sucks so much. It's after four years in a coma, this guy is going to be reunited with his high school sweetheart. But his high school sweetheart is now like in Playboy. I get such of that time, like 2009, the end of the raunchy era, really? Yeah, so it would be like one of the like knockoff movies of the raunchy era. I don't think it's worth. Don't don't go don't go backwards. This movie I'm is just delightful. Saying, I was so surprised with how 
capable barbarian is. And like, wow, I don't know where he got the extra, the extra work. Cause it doesn't seem to be on his, on his page under director, but like the guy on his own making barbarian fantastic film. Like I absolutely loved it. I, I loved everything about it. Fully agree. Ooh, ooh. I know my number two movie is not going to be on your list because I know what your number one is now. And you're going to hate that the number two is on my number two. You ready? I'm ready. Let me get my my pompous on here just for a second. Yeah, got my pompous jacket on. Okay. So I don't think that Steven Spielberg should direct another picture. Oh, great. This is your number two of the year? Your number two? He is executive producer on the next Indiana Jones. And I think that it's a good idea that he didn't do the new Indiana Jones. Selfishly, I want the final frame ever in a Spielberg film to be the one from the Fablemans. This like nod to the audience. It's a damn good one. It's like, um, it's like a past promise, but it's also this real gift he's giving the audience. So, like most people, like most people, they did not see this on the big screen. They, you know, this film did not make like, almost any money. Uh, but immediately, you know, this was a really nice day anyway. So I'm just going to set up what happened because I got to tell it. Immediately after meeting uh, my new niece, it was a day she was born. I was at the hospital. Hi, Lena. Your parents shouldn't make you listen to this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Becky and I, we, we drove 45 minutes to the nearest theater to watch, you know, this fictionalized Spielberg story come to life. Now, I don't know what didn't resonate with people here. Divorce is common. Everyone has felt bullied in their life. Everyone's felt like the other at some point, the racism in the picture really resonated deeply with, with, with me, like not as much as a film like till did this year, but it really was genuine. And like some of those conversations he had with his parents, I've had with my parents. So all of it felt very genuine to me. Like, I think I cried four times. My wife was poking fun at me and I'm, and I, Oh, I said it earlier. I said, leave me alone. I come to the cinema to feel stuff. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, together in the car on the way home, we like, we had a massive conversation about the cheating parents story, the, you know, an artist's passion, how he fell in love so fast with this girl, how the bully reacted to his film and, and how it all somewhat like related to our super significant lives on a country back road, like just driving away. Uh, you know, we really talked for hours about this film and I, that definitely, I understand not everybody had that experience. I, that was my experience. You know, tack on the stories that I, I've told you some of these stories about, about the film production, how it came together. You know, William's last Spielberg score. They're those who are like probably the most impactful collaborating team in all of Hollywood history. You know, Spielberg and John Williams, like the breakdown Spielberg had on set watching his actors portraying his parents. And he like just like would sob. He undertook so much. Is what I'm trying to say to make this film. I I feel like, and I felt lifted. I, I felt like uh, it was in the bag for best picture. <laughs> what an idiot. To be honest, like I'm still shocked. It's not my number one film of the year. Like I am. 
I'm just, I'm so shocked that you see all that in this movie. I guess it's there. It's there. It, it just felt so personal. And I am not even a filmmaker. I'm not anything. I'm just me. And it just. No, you're, you're a massive Spielberg fan. And I think that. I sure am. Uh, yeah, that is, is, that's a thing. I think this is personal. This is like him talking to his fans. I don't think I'm as much of a Spielberg fan. And and I also, you know, I don't think I can resonate like with his very American kind of experience in some ways. Of course, your experience is very different. When you and I talk about our childhoods, you don't even relate to like how I grew up. And, and we both grew up in, you know, suburbs of Toronto and... Uh, your experience was very different than mine. I was not altogether. in a suburb. Thank you very much. I well, well, well. We can tomato, tomato. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. No, no, I get it. I get it. I had a very suburban running through the forest. And that is even something that you are like, I don't relate to that. That wasn't my childhood. And I think, I, I think maybe some of these stories did. Uh, I, I Certainly when he got into his his teen years and you know love came very easy to him and he was he was very passionate about the wrong girl i certainly related to that i certainly related to being bullied because that was my existence as well there was so there was a lot there that was there i think for a person like me yeah i i really touched and connected with the fablements i genuinely thought this will be his last film and he'll get the award but no, none of that happened. None of that happened because we have your number one film to thank for. Don't we, Ivana? <laughs> we Don't sure we. do. My number one film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, with, that also won the Oscar. Yay, the Oscars made the right choice. It won all of the Oscars. Let's be clear. It won them all. It wouldn't stop winning. Yes, fully agree. And I love that. I, I'm so happy. That it wouldn't stop winning because look, I think that that winning streak is how exactly it felt when the movie came out. For me, in my pandemic experience, it came out, I watched it around the time that I left Pittsburgh. So it was like one of the last things that I did. I got some friends together. I bought the movie because it was like available in theaters or you could buy it, um, like full on buy it. And I bought the movie and we projected it in their uh, backyard and watched it on a home big screen. Man, did it just feel like everything that uh, you, you needed to watch at that moment. Like it was like it was a movie. It was original. It was a blockbuster size scope. It also like asked massive philosophy questions. It was fun. It was funny. It was absolutely everything, everywhere, all at once, just <laughs> like the title. And and that was really important in that moment as I was leaving Pittsburgh, going back to Toronto for a bit before moving here to L.A. finally. so It is unlike anything else. It is a true original at all times, it is captivating. The film moved me to my absolute core. Coming to grips with my own mortality like has just never been that much fun. And this movie is. <laughs> Ki-Y Kwan is what every man should aspire to be. Fully agree. That masculinity is what the world needs. 
we solve our problems with kindness. Like that is how we we get to the same results. Michelle Yeoh has to go through everything that she goes through to learn that. And it's a really silly way at the end to learn it, but it's fun. <laughs> and then you get that incredible moment with their daughter. That is unbelievable. Like I, I cried because two rocks were on the screen. Yeah. Two rocks and me too. I cried at that moment. One of the things I love the most about this film is that it's like asking big questions, but still having fun. It, since the movie is trying to be so much, you kind of have to take it to the most big, absurd craziness. And then it in, is maximalism on film. Exactly. And so you have to also be maximally absurd in maximally almost extra. It's also like very much exists in our zeitgeist of quick videos, TikTok, online media, like it is a film that is inspired, informed, and also like born from our current existing crazy multiverse of a world. And, yep. and then it like sometimes takes you to these places where it's just rocks on a, on, on a cliff talking and asking questions about the meaning of life and, and what it is to be a mother and a daughter and all that stuff. And man, it's just it's so cool. This is what I want in a blockbuster. So, of course, it's my number one film. Of course. And you will at some point turn over your A24 card, right? At some point. <laughs> yeah. You'll be like, I am here for A24. Bodies, bodies, bodies. And everything all, everywhere oh my all God. at and once. And then, I mean, look, <laughs> last year with Green Knight, I, I have realized that, like, if there is a place I want to work here now that I live in LA, that is a place I want to check out and work at. If so, that is definitely on my list. Whatever they're doing, I think it's pretty spectacular. I feel this is important for me to say. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Sunday night was the Oscars. Right up until the Oscars, just about like start time of the Oscars everything everywhere all at once was my number 10 the problem is right up until the Oscars I was watching the film that ended up in my number one spot of my year and I just want to I know I just like gushed Spielberg but Spielberg is not actually my favorite current director it is it's Gilmore del Toro that's true he is your favorite current that's true I didn't go gaga over Nightmare Alley. I liked it, but I wasn't like losing my mind over it. But it's still like a very lush and beautiful. And, you know, that man can frame his picture. Like it's a beautiful picture. So it was shocking to me. We keep coming back to this, but like I was disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to watch his new film on the big screen, especially when I learned it was going to be an animated new film. And he'd have even more control of that scope in that frame. But I knew that like before we recorded, I would have to see Gilmore del Toro's Pinocchio. This is not Disney's story of Pinocchio. I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. In I knew there'd be like wild creature designs. Del Toro, for whatever reason, set this in wartime Italy under fascist Mussolini. Interesting. Which sort of parallels to like Pan's Labyrinth, the way that he 
told that fairy tale. If I could give you any idea of what this Pinocchio is, he's kind of like a chaotic, I'm going to use this word because I know how much you know it means to me, Paddington. Wow. Okay. I went from wondering how I'd even like this stupid piece of wood to absolutely falling in love with him. Like, I want right now a tiny Del Toro Pinocchio figurine to live on my desk. I believe in that little creation so very much. There are moments of true comedy in this film that made me snicker. There are moments that will like absolutely break your heart. Some of it appears kind of frightening. The The voice actors can sometimes be distracting because you actually know almost all of the voices in this film. And you're, you're like, who is that? I know that. I know that voice. But my number one film of every year and every year we get together is usually something that I just, I can't ignore, comes out of nowhere and just really takes me down. So that is Gilmore Del Toro's Pinocchio. Something you might not know, Ivana. Obviously we've kept in pretty close contact, but like who hasn't is our listener. You listening right now. Thank you for, you know, hitting play when you didn't have to. I've been to a lot of funerals in the past year. Like too many funerals. And there there were ones that I couldn't attend. But I accepted that like I've crossed a point in my life where people are starting to be taken away from my friends and my family. So when I found out that this film was about grief and death, like I was not prepared. The final words of this film spoken in like a narrative by Sebastian J. Cricket, not Jiminy, will like forever be ringing in my ear. I've, I've written them down in my new phone. Can you read them? I, I, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it because it'll make me cry even more just thinking about this movie. It is the most wonderful fairy tale I think I've ever seen. And I can't believe he released this in the same year that Disney like just rehashed and tanked their live action version. It just simply the most heart pulling piece of art I've seen this year. It deserved to win best animated. Of course it did. That's my number one. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming because I just rambled and also got a little teary up that you have not seen this film. No, I, I have not seen this film. The cast is ridiculous. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Kate Blanchett is in this movie. What? Christopher Waltz? What the? It's weird. Like the amount of people that you're just like, oh, that that sounds like, oh, that's Ron Perlman as like a fascist Italian soldier. Like it's just so bizarre. I don't really like the story of Pinocchio. It's such a dark uh, and sad story that I don't often, I had, I just had no interest. Animated and yeah, it's not that I don't like animated films, but I just prefer live action films. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but it, you're making me very interested. You're making me very interested. It's not like it's not like any Pinocchio that I'd seen before. That is for damn sure. Like it is. Is it as dark? There are moments of darkness. Yeah, for sure. There's a I mean, lot. Like, I find that the whole Pinocchio story is like bleak, right? Because he gets like, he's innocent and then he's taken advantage of. Yes. And of course that happens. 
And at that point, like Becky and I kind of leaned into each other and we were both like, I, I don't, I, I don't want anyone to hurt him. Like, I don't want him. I don't want him to be hurt. Like he's so like, but immediately I was like, this is the most annoying character in the world. And I think five minutes later, I was like, holy shit. I love this thing. I love him so much. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that is my list. Uh, there are some glaring omissions that I just, I want to quickly clear up before we make our top 10. I love it. Have not seen The Whale. Haven't seen After Sun. Haven't seen The Quiet Girl. Living. The Happening. Babylon. Armageddon Time. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Funny Pages. Or Adopting Audrey. I may have, should have said that at the beginning. Because you might have been like, where's After Sun? Where, where is the whale. Well, the whale was on Ivana's if you weren't paying attention. Uh, but maybe I should have said that at the beginning. I, these are the films that I missed. The whale would not be on your top 10 list anyway. And I are missed you sure all of about the same films. Yes. Yeah. I'm, you know, Black Swan was at the top of my list that one year. For sure. But no, the whale would not be on, on yours. I, I also want to add to the missed list. Um, and I don't know that much about the movie, but I found out about it recently and it just looks very interesting. It's called Girl Picture and it has like a ridiculous uh, score, like Rotten Tomatoes score. And it's also starring Mia Goth. And um, I haven't seen that, but it looks very interesting. That does sound interesting. You know what? Like I, I, I'll watch probably anything Mia Goth is in now. After X and Pearl. All right, Jay, I think it's time for us to make our top 10 list. For those who are new to the podcast, which I can't imagine is probably many people because I feel like probably the only people listening right now are people being like, oh, shit, they made another episode. Um, <laughs> but for anyone new, what we do is we take each of our individual top 10 lists and we negotiate to create a master top 10 list a more than movies top 10 of 2022 and then that becomes kind of like our official endorsed list i think that our top 10 lists every year are pretty damn special because anyone will find something that they will love in our top 10 it's like a good eclectic mix of movies maybe not always with uh, all the standard items on that list i feel like we should put everything everywhere all at once in the number one position because it won the Oscar. Why would we do that when RRR, it was on both of our lists and high on both of our lists. RRR should be number one because it's number three for you. Number four for me, that feels like we only had two similarities, Banshees and RRR. So RRR has got to be top Banshees somewhere in the middle. Everything I will concede because it was the best picture winner. That everything everywhere all at once is number two. All right. Okay. Number two, perhaps. But then I want to put Del Toro's Pinocchio at number three. You know what? I'm okay with that. It it sounded really good. It has it has great reviews, to be honest, as well. Uh so like people generally he made a good movie. And he he makes he always makes good movies. So I'm good with this. I like this this sort of turn of events here. Then I okay. think maybe our joint number four should be Banshees of Inishirin. Okay. Okay. I'll move that up. So that that feels good. Do you think okay, we have our number ones are in. They're locked. They're locked. 
I think that, you know, the Fablemans, which is your number two, should definitely be on the list. It was a good movie. So I'd like that to be on the list. I'd also like to see Decision to Leave on the list because I'm really intrigued by this movie. And I also kind of want to see Tar. So those oh, are the ones. Wait. We have crossover with Tar. We have crossover with Tar. So I think so that those Tar three... may be number five. Well, Tar isn't. I guess it's on your number five, right? And, and so it's, it's my number seven, seven. So maybe number six. Let's let's go we number split six. Split the difference. Split the difference. Or maybe All it right. belongs in number five because it is on both our lists. You know what I mean? I do like the it is on both our list business. That's yeah, I, I like that's that. Important. Um okay. so I think those are the important ones from your list that I want to see on the joint list. I, I would like the Batman in Triangle of Sadness to be really considered strongly from my list. But wait a minute. We're, we're skipping over Barbarian. Oh, and Barbarian. My number two. Oh, like, I really. Yes. Like Barbarian is definitely. I think it. It's it, like number 15 of my year. I could. I could go Barbarian like. Maybe not as high, even though it's high on yours. Maybe what like if we put eight? it at number eight? Yeah. Let's try Barbarian at number eight. And maybe we can put um, your pick, Decision to Leave, at number nine. Okay. All right. That means I'm fighting for the Fablemans to be either in six or seven right now. I feel like seven feels like a good Fablemans number. Oh, is that where you feel it's good? I feel like six is good. <laughs> I feel like everything everywhere is sitting up number two, all all high and mighty. What about Fablemans? <laughs> hey, Del Toro is number three right below it. Um, yeah, because yeah, I conceded. Where's your concession? Okay, well, okay. I think that the six and seven spots belong to the Fablemans and Triangle of Sadness. Or All right, the I'll just go ahead and, and I'll put this in the order I think that it deserves. And actually, then I think that's that would be that would be the list. Like that would be the list I propose. Is... Okay, now hold on. We need a number ten here, and this is going to be for all the marbles. I think the number ten because should be Batman. I know you want Batman. I want. I know Batman. you want Batman. I want to see for its importance, and I want you to concede that Top Gun Maverick should be on this list. Oh, Top Gun Maverick is good for this list. Yeah. For this, look at look at what we're making people sit through. That's a lot of not blockbusters, except RRR, which is incredible. Well, RRR is a blockbuster. And that's it. You're, the Fablemans is kind I guess not. No, yeah. it made no money. It's a little indie film about somebody's life in the 50s and 60s. Is it indie? Or I think Top Gun Maverick needs... Look, I understand that the Batman's also a blockbuster, but you know what this movie, this list doesn't need? Another superhero. All right, We've fine. already got yeah, one. Okay, We've okay. got our philosophical superhero. You got superhero. me, and I do agree Top Gun Maverick was really important uh, to getting people out back into the world like i think waking up from this pandemic and like when the story of a pandemic is told to kids the next generation i think top gun maverick like crazily enough will be in that conversation of and then everybody went to this movie and everyone seemed okay afterwards yeah and then they started to go out again (laughs) yes yes so i think i think it's that important to the world 
Okay, I'm sorry, I like the it. Batman. I, th- I think we have a list here, my friend. I think we have a list. Uh-huh. All right. All right. I'm going to kick off the 2022 best movies of the year with Top Gun Maverick. Number nine, Decision to Leave. Number eight, Barbarian. Number seven, Triangle of Sadness. Number six, The Fablemans. Number five, Tar. Number four, Banshees of Inishirin. Number three, Gelmore Del Toro's Pinocchio. Number two, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Got a little misty when you said that. I sure did. And number one film you gotta see in 2022 is RRR. All right, well, that is this episode. We will be back with another episode. And it's going to be maybe a little different, maybe not. Who's to say? But keep subscribed because at some point that little bell's going to go off and you're going to go, wow, they did another thing. Hopefully, you'll be able to listen in about two weeks' time. (laughs) Here's open. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please be sure to tune in again next time. If you enjoyed what you heard today, give us a rating or review. Uh, to your podcast app. If it is available, I know certain ones are not. The music you heard today comes from bensound.com. And if you read our show notes, you'll learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. You can find way more episodes of More Than Movies wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, apparently we've been doing this for a long time, people. (laughs) Sure have. And if you want to interact directly, you can find Ivana on Instagram at Ivana Kingston. And you can follow Jay on Letterboxd at Jester Jay. We'll be back soon with a new episode, so make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. So until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. (laughs) 